Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. In 2019, The Plodcast nearly doubled in size, and we had some record-breaking episodes. I wanted to take a moment and ask that if you're not subscribed, please make sure you do so, and if you're enjoying your time here, please leave a rating or a review. However, if you're not enjoying your time, forget I mentioned anything about a rating or a review. Welcome to Plodcast, episode 126. This is 126, the Plodcast. In case you were looking for something else, I just want to let you know at the front end that this is not that. This is the Plodcast, 126. So, I uh, am participating in the Bible reading challenge and working through uh, the entire Bible along with uh, thousands and thousands of other people and very uh, grateful for... Uh, that experience, and I'm working through the New King James uh, uh, version uh, for for this read through, and um, I just noticed something in um, uh, Matthew 16 this last uh, go round, and wanted to wanted to mention it uh, here, wanted to talk about it here because it's like, well, it's relevant. In Matthew 16, uh, the Lord rebukes the uh, the unbelievers, the Pharisees, he and he. He calls them hypocrites, and this is Matthew 16, 1 through 14. And the thing that struck me, I, uh, and I, first I need to insert, there is a manuscript issue, and some of the uh, ESV doesn't have the word hypocrite, and NASB, I believe, does not, but the King James and the New King James uh, do. And the, I stumbled over something because it, it, uh, I stubbed my toe on it because it was apparent that the Lord was using the word hypocrisy in a way uh, that was not the usual, uh, it was not the usual thing. So when, in, in Romans, when the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul is accusing uh, people who preach and teach against stealing, who are themselves thieves, that is a, that's sort of the standard issue definition of hypocrisy. So and when the Lord uh, lights into the Pharisees in uh, Matthew twenty-three, that's the the common understanding of hypocrisy, and that is where you're uh, professing one thing with your mouth and living another way in your private life or secretly or tucked away from other people. So there's a disjunct between what you're saying and what you're doing. Uh, what you're saying and what you're doing are two different things. Now, that really is a biblical um, uh, definition of hypocrisy. That, that is a species of uh, hypocrisy. But I, it struck me, looking at Matthew 16, that the genus of hypocrisy is bigger than that. Because what Jesus says uh, there is he says, um, you know how to interpret the signs of the sky. Uh, you you see it's red in the evening and you say, oh, it's going to be, the weather's going to be this way. And in the English proper, red sky at night, sailors delight. Uh, red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Um, and Jesus says, you know, you know how to interpret the sky like you ought to. You see certain indications and you take uh, prudential measures to protect yourself 
when you um, see the weather, when you when when you see the weather turn ugly, or when you, it's about to turn ugly. Uh, and then he says, "You hypocrites," and he says, "You know how to interpret the signs of the sky, but not the signs of the times." And it struck me that the Lord is saying here that uh, hypocrisy is to think in a fragmented way. It's uh, hypocrisy is to have all your different areas of uh, behavior jumbled up in a box together where you don't keep them sorted out, such that if, um, you, if there's something that you would never, ever do in your business, but you do it in your home, right? if, if some, you know, let's say uh, uh, you would never let a, a, an employee get away with dishonesty at the business, but you let your teenage child get away with dishonesty at home, uh, that would be hypocrisy. What you're doing is you're demonstrating that what you understand in one area of your life, you're not willing to act as though you understand in another. Put another way, integrated world, the lack of integrated worldview thinking, the inability to put two and two together, the inability to read the signs of the times, the same way you read the signs in the sky, is hypocrisy. Um, in the Old Testament, it says the men of Issachar um, were, were wise. They understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. Well, what, what do we have? Uh, and I would regard this as the great, the great evangelical hypocrisy. Uh, we, there are all sorts of things that we understand from the Bible in this area and this area and this area. But when it comes to the public square, we will not apply what we know. We won't, we won't transfer it over. We won't take it over. And this is, this is hypocrisy, and it's a very different hypocrisy than a preacher who's embezzling from the church uh, accounts, preaching against embezzling. That's personal hypocrisy, and that, yeah, that's bad. That's not, that's not what you want at all. But that's a very simple understanding of hypocrisy. You should do what, you, you should do what you're telling other people to do. But you, there's what the Lord is talking about in Matthew 16 appears to be not an internal, external thing, not the way it is in my heart and the way it is in my sermon kind of uh, hypocrisy, but more of a, a, a lateral measurement of hypocrisy. Uh, what you are tolerating in this, what you wouldn't tolerate in this area, you tolerate in that area. And you say, oh, it's the public square, or oh, you, you, you fob it off with some excuse. Well, no, that's, uh, that's no good. So we are continuing with uh, Plodcast, episode 126, and we come to hamartiology. Hamartiology, remember, uh, that's the Greek, word that, uh, the Greek word for sin or missing the mark. And so we're looking at all the different Greek words in the New Testament that are descriptive of some sin or other. And the word asylgeia has a range of meanings. Asylgeia has a range of meanings, but they're all in the same neighborhood. The word is translated as lasciviousness in six places. Jesus teaches us that the heart of the natural man is a font of any number of sinful practices, this one included. Uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, 21 and 22, the Lord says this, 
For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, and here's our word, lasciviousness, an evil eye, which is a Hebrew idiom for stingy, tight-fisted, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So, this, the heart of man is the font that produces lasciviousness. This is where lascivious, lasciviousness comes from, out of the heart of men. The Apostle Paul understood that this kind of corruption was at the root of many of the Corinthian tumults, as he makes clear from the previous verse. First, let me uh, point to where he tags lasciviousness. And last, when I sh- uh, for 2 Corinthians 12, 21, And last, when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness, there it is, which they have committed. Well, in the previous verse, he is talking about strife and envy and backbiting and, and all the quarrels. So, when, and it's really uh, interesting that Paul, when he comes to Corinth, is one of the things he's expecting to do is to separate the disputants. He's separate the people who are in the middle of quarrels. And as he gets to the bottom of it, he's expecting to find lasciviousness. One of the things that you should look for, one of the things pastors should look for, one of the things that parents should look for, when there are inexplicable quarrels, oftentimes there is a hidden driver of guilt. The hidden driver of guilt has to do with uncleanness, fornication, lasciviousness, that sort of thing. And that was the, that was the thing that was uh, helping to uh, feed or drive the, uh, the various quarrels at Corinth. So, uh, the Apostle Paul also tells us that this is the kind of sin which provides bad company with some company on the way to damnation. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the, works, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, there's our word, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, um, sins are like grapes. They come in bunches. And so, you, you see that lasciviousness keeps bad company, and other bad sins keep lasciviousness. The natural inclination of the natural man is to surrender to this kind of thing. Ephesians 4.19 says, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. All right? People surrender to it. They, give them, they, they abandon themselves to it to work all uncleanness with greediness, Ephesians 4.19. The Apostle Peter agrees with this. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Notice again how uh, lasciviousness keeps bad company. And Jude teaches us that some teachers want to use the grace of God as a cloak to cover up this kind of wickedness. He says in verse 4, for there, are certain men, for there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, 
turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice that what these false teachers do is they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They say, oh, we're saved by grace. We're not saved by works of the law. Uh, glory, we can uh, throw ourselves into the pursuit of pornography or whatever. In several other places, this word is translated as uncleanness. Excuse me, not uncleanness. In several other places, that this word is translated as wantonness. Um, so let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. Wantonness, there's our word, not in strife and envying. That's Romans 13, 13. So, and though the word is rendered differently, false teachers still want to use it to bait the hook. Uh, this is in 2 Peter 2, 18. It says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, there it is, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. 2 Peter 2, 18. And one last place, the word is the same, this same word, which is um, aslegeia, is translated as filthy. And Second uh, Peter 2, 7, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Continuing on with podcast episode 126, uh, we've now come to our book review section. A book I just finished and, I, and which I am happy to commend to you is Ball of Collusion, which is by Andrew, uh, Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy is a very capable writer. He writes uh, regularly for National Review. Uh, he was, he's an attorney. He was a prosecutor. And he was the man, he was the gent who prosecuted uh, the blind sheikh uh, in the first attempt to take down the world uh, trade towers. So he was the, the prosecutor there. He understands the law. He understands, um, he, um, and, and he has thoroughly and painstakingly and exhaustingly uh, researched the whole Russia, um, the whole Russian collusion narrative, uh, from the FISA warrants, Carter Page, to um, blaming of uh, the Russian collusion story on, on Papadopoulos and um, the appointment of special counsel, uh, the, you know, the whole thing. It's soup to nuts, uh, alpha to omega, A to Z, uh, Andrew McCarthy um, covers this. Now, he does this, uh, and it's, it's, he, uh, it's quite a compelling book in that um, He's a, he's a genuine conservative writer. He understands, um, I think, what's going on. He is not a Trump fan. He is not in Trump's corner saying Trump has done everything right. There are a number of places where he points out how uh, Trump got exasperated and fired off and said something or tweeted something or, or you know did something that made the situation far more complicated for him or... or uh, made, made it far more complex. McCarthy is a writer who is very aware of um, Trump's faults. So this is not uh, someone weighing in, and now from Trump corner we have this person weighing in. Um, but 
McCarthy understands the rule of law, and he understands what the procedures ought to be at the Justice Department and what the procedures ought to be at the FBI. He knows that um, he knows that world uh, front to back, side to side, top to bottom. He knows that world, and he knows how these things uh, ought to work, how these things ought to function. And this book is just uh, flabbergasting. It, the the thing that's flabbergasting about it is. Um, you know, in this book, uh, McCarthy tags Trump as sort of a wild, uh, you know, loose cannon on deck, uh, someone who pops off sometimes in a way that works and sometimes in a way that doesn't. He he tags Trump as some someone who has at times been his own worst enemy. But what he does meth- methodically and painstakingly all the way through the book is show how the accusations that have been made against Donald Trump uh, were accusations where the people who were accusing him were actually guilty of the of the <laughs> of, of of that offense. So what what happened was this: the Obama uh, the Obama administration used its intelligence agencies to spy on uh, the Trump campaign. Uh, in various ways to uh, monitor, spy on, report back on, etc. Now, part of the reason for doing this was to, to have sort of an insurance policy, as as Peter Strzok, one of the FBI agents uh, uh, involved, put it. Um, everybody knew. One of the things you have to, uh, I guess, get your mind around is go back to that time before the election um, and recognize that in official circles, if you were inside the beltway, if you were in the know, everybody knew that Trump was going to lose. Everybody knew that Hillary was going to win. The Russians thought that Hillary was going to win. Uh, Trump thought that Hillary was going to win. Hillary thought that Hillary was going to win. Everybody thought that Hillary was going to win. And there were some certain there were certain dirty deeds, certain things that were done uh, contrary to protocols, the the FISA warrants that were. Uh, obtained on um, on Carter Page, and there were things that were, where the procedures were not followed, and laws were broken, and the whole thing was pretty high-handed. But it was all going to be okay because everybody was sleek and confident that um, once Hillary was elected, which everybody knew was going to happen, uh, Hillary could appoint the right people to the Justice Department. And they could go in and bury all the bodies, so uh, they could um, ba- basically make all these stories go away. Uh, um, there's rumors about this and rumors about that and rumors about the other thing, and um, and so the pl- the plan was since everybody knew that Hillary was going to win, everybody knew that this bumpkin Donald Trump could not win. It was not not a possibility. All we'd have to do is get through get through the election. And then we would assign certain people to do the cleanup. And you remember that James Comey, uh, the head of the FBI, reopened the investigation about um, about Hillary's uh, vanished emails. Um, and then in rapid speedo form, uh, conducted the investigation and then sewed it up again. And this was so uh, there would be no cloud of suspicion over Hillary, if she, when she won, which everybody knew she was going to do, 
uh, people couldn't say, yeah, but she played dirty or what about the emails or whatever. They were giving her all the, the cover that she needed. Well, then the inexplicable happened. Then lightning struck. Then uh, the gods of uh, bizarre elections uh, went crazy, and Donald Trump won. And when Donald Trump won, all of a sudden, all the people involved in these bad in these bad deals were faced with the prospect of a Justice Department that was going to be staffed by Donald Trump. And there were all kinds of bodies lying around that, that there was no way to bury them. There was, there was no way to get these stories to go away. And so, because a be, the best defense is a good offense, uh, the Russian collusion narrative was settled on and has been pursued aggressively. And Andrew McCarthy follows it point by point, day by day, week by week, walks all the way through it. Uh, like I said, he doesn't do it as a Trump fan, but he does it. He, I think he's a fair-minded, judicious uh, individual. And the only thing is you close the, as you close the, uh, if, as you turn the last page of this book, you're going to be left scratching your head, wondering why, there, why nobody's gone to jail yet. It's really bad.